Uh, turn with me, please, this evening in the scriptures to the book of Luke, the 16th chapter. Luke 16. Thank you, Lord. How big a hurry are you in tonight? That was a little weak. Let me see. Let me see. Are you sure? I know uh, we've taken a little extra time with the first part of the service, but uh, how many think it was right that we shouldn't have, shouldn't have shorted any of that? And so now, what do we want to do now? Well, I, I got something in me about this, but you know, um, a lot of it's affected by the hearer's faith and uh, priority. And I know, you know, a lot of times people get up early and they've worked and they've had a long day and your body's natural. You can get tired. I understand that. I heard one, one preacher say one time, he said, uh, he said, uh, if you saw somebody nodding off and he said somebody was going to reach over and bump him, he said, nah, leave him alone. He said, uh, I've, I've been that way in church and half asleep and, and half awake. And he said, I'm not getting anything out of the message. And and I'm not getting anything out of my nap either. He said, uh, <laughs> he said, leave him alone. At least let him get something out of one of them, you know. And uh, I, we, our bodies are natural. I understand that. I understand that. And it's entirely possible for preachers to go too long. And I'm sure I have. But at the same time, you have to watch your flesh. Because your flesh will, uh, you know, be too antsy, too uh, impatient, too... Wanting to just hurry up, hurry up, get through, go here, do this. And, and you can actually miss out on some things by being that way. So uh, we're, not, uh, we're not in too big of a hurry to get from God what we're supposed to, right? Hmm? Thank you, Lord. Don't get scared. Don't get scared. I'm not planning on going all the night, but uh, would it be so terrible if we did go half the night? You know? Luke 16, are you, are you there? Luke 16 and verse uh, 9. We'll skip to verse 10. I guess this will be close enough here. Verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Keep going. If therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. Who can do it? Nobody can do it. Now a lot of people try but nobody can do it successfully. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, Jesus is the head, and we are the body. How many heads does the body have? A two-headed body is not right. That's, that's a problem. And uh, trying to have two heads on the things of God is not his plan. It's not his will. It doesn't work. Families are not supposed to have two heads. 
Are y'all with me? Churches, local churches, are not supposed to have two heads. Y'all with me or not? Ministries, God-ordained, called ministries, are not supposed to have two heads. If they do, and people say, you know, I I heard one denomination bragging, the leaders of their denomination bragged, and they said, our denomination is the purest form of democracy on the earth. Well, then they're missing God. Hmm? Because God's things are not a democracy. They're a theocracy. Are you with me? That means he's the head. And and we're under him. And so uh, don't let the ways of the world take you away from how things are supposed to be. Hmm? And try to take worldly things and put them in the church. That's not how it works. He said, no servant can serve two masters. Why? Because they keep getting in the way of each other. (laughs) Two heads keep getting in the way of each other. We're having fun now, aren't we? (laughs) And it's not whoever is the head, them being the person they are is not what qualifies them to be the head. I've heard, you know, uh, women get upset and say, well, how does him being a man qualify him to be head of the marriage or the house just because he's male? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's the anointing that qualifies. That's not about intelligence. It's not about ability. Y'all with me or not? What would qualify me to be head over the local church here? It's not because of who I am. It's not because of what I know or what I can do as a man. None of that would qualify me to be head over the local church. It would only be if God called me and anointed me to be. And then it's that anointing that qualifies. And because of that anointing, even if you were smarter than me, Even if you knew more scripture than me, prayed more than me, were more spiritual than me in some ways, you still wouldn't make a better head because that anointing would cause me to see and know things that you couldn't get by being smarter or quote, come on, you understand, or quoting scripture. It's the anointing that enables and qualifies and the only reason a person, this person would be anointed to do it instead of that is because God chose and God called and he anointed. And that's what qualifies and enables. And I know that's not real to a lot of people because they're so carnal and natural. But uh, boards vote on things and vote people in and vote people out and hire people for this and hire people for that. But spiritual people can tell the difference. And tell that they're just killing things and messing things up. Yeah, but he's got education and he's got this. That doesn't qualify them to do it. It's only the anointing that qualifies and enables. How many heads and masters can you have? One. 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 
Nobody can serve two. It's just going to be confusing, isn't it? Well, who's in charge? They said this, they said that. Who am I supposed to listen to? Who am I supposed to follow? What am I supposed to do here? God's not confused. And he's not the author of confusion. And so when you see confusion, that's men's doing and the enemy's doing, not God's doing. God's the God of peace. And when things are the way they're supposed to be, there's peace. There's clarity. Everybody knows what's going on, right? How it works, how it's supposed to work. Can you say amen or oh me or I'm thinking about it or? <laughs> no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now mammon is money and material things personified. And also money as a God. Now money can be a great servant. But it's an evil master. And a pitiful, lousy God. Hmm? But now, are there some folks that are trying to serve money? Oh, yeah. Sure they are. People are made. Now, I'm not talking about unsaved people. Christian people. Church-going people. Are making all kind of decisions based totally on money. Where they live. Where, what they do what they do with their family. People will leave a good church where their kids got saved and their wife got healed. Come on, are you listening? Where they got answers about the place. I've seen people pull up their family and leave and go to the other side of the country or another place where they didn't have a good church for $5 more an hour. I've seen it happen. And just dry up spiritually you know, prosperity is much more than how much you're taking in a year. Right. You can be making ten times what you used to make in money, and it means nothing to you. If your relationships are not right, if your body's not all right, come on, are you listening to me, saints? If you're not in the will of God, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you're empty, unfruitful, dissatisfied, You'd be better off in the middle of the will of God making a tenth, right, of money and yet everything else being right because your salary is not your source anyway. That doesn't mean you couldn't have money. God could bring it in through other channels. Hmm? I've talked to folks in the church. You know, we've a number of you have moved from other parts of the country and even other countries. He'd Branson in Sarasota. And I've talked to, to person after person, to family after family, that have told me, I, I put the principle of find your church first. And then we found where to live and our jobs and our schools. And, and you could see their face beaming. They were so happy. They found their place. They found their grace, and the rest of it comes with. Amen. Didn't Jesus say, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what would happen? All, all these things that people are struggling to get and to find, 
they'll be added to you. And that's quite different from you trying, struggling, trying to add it to yourself. That's him adding it to you, and it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And when it comes his way, there's no sorrow with it. There's no downside. There's no negatives to it. It's just all good, all blessing. Can you say amen? Amen. You know, I think I could preach some here tonight. I could could wave my arms. Would you help me? Phyllis and I were talking about just a day or so ago, uh, uh, Brother Hagin, she's talking about Brother Hagin tonight, and how frequently you'd hear him say, it pays to obey God. It doesn't cost, it pays to obey God. Somebody say it out loud, it pays to obey God. Oh yeah, that's it. We're on the word tonight right here. That, That was it. That's it. Say it out loud again. It pays. It pays. It pays to obey God. To obey God. It pays to obey God. Go to the book of Romans, please. Book of Romans. I'm just going to take these notes and fold them up (laughs) and throw them over here. And I think another time. That's good now. Don't you misunderstand me. The Lord gave me that. And it's really, really good. But you plan on coming back, right? I mean. (laughs) In Romans 8. And the. uh, Verse 14. Romans 8, 14. He said, as many as are led. By the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This is one of the indicators of sons of God is that they're not head-led, they're not flesh-led, they're not desire-led, they're not mama-led, they're not whatever's politically correct-led. Hmm? They're not money-led. What are they? Spirit-led. Because spirit you, when, you, when you're spirit-led, you got one head. You got the right head. Because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of your head, our head, Jesus. And when He's leading us, the one, our one head, our one master is leading us. Say it out loud, I'm not led by money. I'm not led by cost. I'm not led by price. Now, if you're telling the truth, you're very different from most of the planet. Hmm? You're radically different from most church-going people. Because, you know, thousands of Christians are making decisions on Monday and Wednesday and Friday based solely on price. They didn't even pray about it. They just went with the cheaper one. Because <laughs> it saved money. Hmm? They didn't even pray about it. They didn't do it because it cost a lot. I want you to say it again. I am not. I refuse to be cost-led, 
price-led, expense-led. By the grace of God, I'm spirit-led. Are you now? Are you now? Are you now? Then if it costs more than you make in 20 years, does that mean you don't even consider doing it? Or getting it? You better ask the big boss. You better ask him. Right? And if he says claim one, then you go ahead and claim one. Even though you got no idea how you could ever get it or pay for it, you don't have to have the idea. He is the idea. He already knows. He didn't even have to figure it out. How could I go to that meeting? How could I go over there and be a part of that? How could I have time? How could I have the equipment to do that and be that? If you try to figure out how you can make the money and where you can get the money, and and you just say, well, I don't know how, so that means I can't do it. No, all things are possible to him that believes. Right? This is a way of living far different than most of the church, than most of the planet. But you can just be simple, simple, childlike faith. If the Lord says do it, then you just believe you can. So how in the world are you going to ever get one of those? I don't have to figure that out. It's not my job. It's my job to be all happy about it. Be excited about it. Looking forward to it. Didn't the Bible say concerning Abraham? Against hope. He believed in hope. What does that mean? There was no hope in the natural that this would ever happen for them. But against hope. He believed in hope, in expectation that he would become the father of many nations. And Isaac was born against all odds, as they would say. Against every report, against every indication, it happened. It happened. That's what walking by faith is all about. That's what being led by the Spirit is all about. Glory to God. One of the very first steps of faith that Phyllis and I ever took was we made the decision we were going to the Kenneth Hagin camp meeting in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, it might as well have been in the Soviet Union (laughs) or South Africa for us because we we had never left home. We were little country folks that didn't, didn't have any money, didn't have any means, hadn't traveled, didn't know. But the Lord put that in our heart. Now, he had fed us enough word over the last couple of years. Faith had begun to spark in us. And so he could tell us, go to that meeting. Go to that week-long meeting. So we made plans to go, and we prepared to go. Now, we didn't have the money to go. We didn't know how. We, we didn't have a car that we were confident would make it out there and back. But you might have heard us talk about it as the time drew nigh. Uh, my parents loaned us their new car that they had. And uh, people had handed Phyllis money, and they had handed me money. We didn't even know how much we had until we were in the car headed towards Tulsa. And she said, guess what? She said, I got money. I said, well, guess what? I do too. We began to pull it out, and we had more than enough for our hotel, for our gas. Now, that might not sound big, but that was stretching our faith. But what if we'd have said, we got to work? 
we don't have the money. We don't even have a decent car. We can't go. Then what would have happened? Well, we wouldn't be standing here today talking about these things with, with churches and ministries. We'd have never went. We'd have never taken the first steps. Don't embrace I can't because I can't see how. If the Lord leads you to do it, you begin to confess I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If he tells me to do it, I can do it. Not in my own strength, but in his ability. I can. I can. Uh, he said, verse 15, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Fear is what will hold you out. Fear will, hold, fear will lock you up in bondage like in a jail cell. Hmm? And every time you start to do something, that fear will grip you and you go, what if, I, what if this happened? What if I don't get this? What if this couldn't happen? And it'll just be like the door is slammed and locked. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't have anything. You can't be a part. And you believe in lies. I said, you believe in lies. How many remember the children of Israel when they, the, the first generation delivered out of Egyptian bondage? They got over there. They saw those walls. They saw those giants. What'd they say? We can't. We can't, we can't take this. Was it true that they couldn't? The, the next generation took it. Right? Proven it could be taken. Proven it could be done. What kept them out? It wasn't the giants that kept them out. It wasn't the walls that kept them out. It wasn't the iron chariots. It was their fear their fear and their unbelief that put them, locked them down, gripped them down in bondage. What about you? What about you? Say it out loud. I've not received. I refuse to receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. I have another spirit. Hallelujah. The Bible said that about Caleb. And about Joshua, they had another spirit. Amen. And when you got another spirit, you don't die out in the wilderness with the rest of the scared, unbelieving bunch. Amen. Even though it takes years, when you got another spirit, you overcome. You overcome and you triumph and you go through and you see what God can do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, you, you didn't receive that spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy. Hallelujah. And what is that? What, what do we mean? Daddy, Father. That means you know who your Father is and you know how much He loves you and that, that love casts out all fear. Knowing how much he loves you and how big he is and how good he is will push out every last vestige of that fear and junk Amen. until you quit saying, I can't. You quit saying, I just don't see how. You quit say, you quit agreeing with people. Oh, there's no way. There's no way. Oh, yeah, there's a way. We know the way. Keep reading. The Spirit itself, or better translations, Himself, bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. We are family. We're God's family. 
Not just servants. Sons. I'm, I'm sure we, we barely have a clue of what that means. We, we're talking about the Almighty who sits on the throne, who created the universe. We're his family. We're family, heirs of God. Now this, this next word you have to stretch your faith to even believe. Joint heirs means equal heir. It's a legal term. Hmm? Anybody got a joint account? <laughs> What does that mean? Tell me what a joint account means. That means they can get to that money just just as easily as you can. Right? We can get to it as easily as who? As who? The Christ. That stretches your faith, doesn't it? If so be we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together with him. Now, without going into a lot of detail, when he says suffer with him, you need to put it with other scriptures that talk about this. There is a New Testament doctrine of suffering. Suffering for the gospel's sake, suffering for the Lord, but it is not what some have made it out to be. It's not suffering from the curse of the law. Which includes sickness, poverty, mental anguish. Come on, are y'all with me, saints? Why? Because you don't suffer for Jesus what he suffered for you. If you suffer for him what he took in, in, in to take off of us, then his bearing it upon himself was in vain. No, 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 no. We must not mix up what he suffered as our substitute with what he suffered as our example. Two different things. And one of the big things that we're not redeemed for and if we redeemed from and that we will suffer if we follow him fully is the scripture says, they that will live godly in Christ Jesus, they shall suffer, what, what? Persecution persecution and then also the scriptures talk about suffering uh, read, read, I'll, I'll just summarize read 1 Peter and 2 Peter real thoroughly sometime and look everywhere it says suffer and everywhere it says glory and you'll begin to see what he's talking about here uh, you know what's conspicuous for its absence in all these writings suffering being sick Amen. suffering being broke he's not talking about that He's talking about suffering, not getting your way. Suffering, having to submit. Suffering, having to put your flesh under. What you want under. And if we suffer, putting our flesh under, putting our our desires and our will under, and, and, and persecution and these things, that we may also be glorified together with him. Now, uh, if you read the account of Paul's life, who's a tremendous example of a completely committed Christian, did he go through some things (laughs) in following the Lord and serving the Lord? He did. 
He, he goes through the list, doesn't he? In 2 Corinthians, he talks about he was beaten with sticks. He was stoned more than once. Is that right? They thought for sure they had killed him. And, and maybe they did. But he rose back up. Hallelujah. And went back into the same town he came out of and kept preaching. But he was shipwrecked. He was betrayed. He said he had been in the cold. He'd been in the heat. He goes on and on. I think sometimes Phyllis touched on this. Sometimes people have had the wrong idea that if you live by faith, then you'll, and you're really a person of faith, then you'll just float down life's path on flowery beds of ease and never have a problem or a challenge and everything be so nice and so easy and so comfortable because you're a faith man. You're a faith one. And a lot of people, I know, I, we don't teach this. Brother Hagen didn't, didn't teach this. A lot of people I know don't teach this. But some way or another, that's what they got out of it. And then when something happens that's a challenge and something that's uncomfortable and something where they're not getting their way or they're being persecuted, people will go, I just don't understand why this is happening to me. I'm a faith person. This is not supposed to be happening to me. No, honey, we're just now finding out if you are a faith person. <laughs> Anybody can shout hallelujah while well, all the bills are paid and we're feeling good. Everybody's being nice to us. And oh, sure. Anybody can shout hallelujah, I'm a faith man. <laughs> it's when there are challenges. It's when there are costs. Will it cost you and I to follow God fully? How much? According to Jesus... Everything. Every, it'll cost you everything. Finally, after several years of dying to mine and Phyllis's dreams and ideas and plans, I just quit making them. <laughs> I just quit because I thought, you're going to have to die to it anyway. Why get this stuff in your head and mind about what you're going to do and what you want to do? Just quit it. Just quit it. And just find what he's already ordained, right? And follow that and trust him that it's going to be good. Now you'll have to do it by faith because you won't be able to see how. And you'll have to turn loose of what you're comfortable with and what you know about. And, and, and blaze off like Abraham, going not knowing where you're going or how all this is going to work out. And in, in life and ministry, Phyllis and I, it seems like we've started over from scratch several times. Now, you get established, things begin to get a little more comfortable. And the Lord said, okay, leave that and do this. You go, oh, Lord, we just now got this. <laughs> but that's part of it, isn't it? And you do. There, there are times when your flesh will sense a cost. And it does cost you. It costs you doing what you thought you wanted to do or are, are, you know, your way, your will, your preference. And some, sometimes people haven't always talked the best about you. And people don't always understand what the Lord's doing in your life. He didn't necessarily tell everybody what he told you and why. And it can be uncomfortable. 
with family members, with friends. It can be arduous. It can be challenging. But, are you here with me? If so be, verse 17, that we suffer with him, that we may be also what? Glorified together. Just like we're joint heirs with Christ. If we suffer the same kinds of persecution and having to put our flesh and our will under, just like Jesus did to follow the plan of the Father for him and, and his straight course to the cross and was it easy when, when he was sweating blood and crying and saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done? Was that easy? No, that was not easy. But he's not suffering being broke and being sick. and he, he's, he's having to, to put aside everything else and let, let himself be cost. Everything to do the Father's will. And if you do, you'll be glorified. Together with him. Sit out loud. It doesn't cost. It pays. To obey God. Now certainly it does. Cost you something. In the middle of what we're saying. Compared to what God's doing for you. It doesn't cost. In the long run. You'll look back your head. And you'll think. I don't Phyllis was talking about that tonight. You know. There were times we thought we were sacrificing. We thought we were, we were laying things aside. Looking back now. It was that was not even to be considered of what we were getting to do, and now we we didn't realize it. But the Lord was allowing us to sow good seed into amazingly good ground, setting us up for harvest, amazing harvest. Hallelujah! This church is a harvest. Branson Church is a harvest. The word supply is the harvest. The word production center is harvest, harvest, harvest. And he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed. Come on, are you listening? What will happen? Why would you be weeping? Why would you be weeping? Well, it's kind of tough right now. And, right? And, and, and we're really having to sacrifice and and we're having to lay aside some things. But if you do it, what's going to happen? Doubtless, doubtless, you shall return. You'll come bringing your sheaves with you. And what sheaves they are. When you're talking about the glorious things of God. Read the next verse. Read the next verse. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are what? Not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that's what Brother Hagin was talking about when he said it doesn't cost. It doesn't cost. Oh, it, it does cost, but compared to what God's doing for you and setting you up for, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't compare with the glory. That shall be revealed. And we haven't even begun to see what he's talking about. Because most of it happens past this life. On the other side. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Sadly. Most of this world. Men and women are busy, busy, busy with their life. 
and their business and their kids and their family and their stuff and their hobbies and their, their retirement and their this and their that and the other. And they just got no time for God. And a few folks go to church as long as it don't cost them anything. You know, if any, if, if any uh, you know, I'm sure we'd probably have more, more folks already in our churches if I didn't preach like I do. If I didn't tell folks what's required of us. Right? And that God expects much more of you than just coming and sitting on the seat and going, praise the Lord, going home. But I'd, I'd be misrepresenting him if I said it differently. He expects you and me to leave it all and to give it all and to go all the way and that no cost is too great. And like Paul said, I will spend and be spent. Right? You think Paul is, is crying about that stuff he went through Back there years ago today? Huh? You think Paul is lamenting and looking back and has depression once in a while? I'm talking about right now. When he looks back and thinks about, man, what I went through. Man, what I... No, no, no. It just seems like so little. It's not even worthy to be compared with who he is in heaven today. And what he gets to be a part of. And that is forever. Forever. On and on and on. Read it again with me. Verse 18. Read it again please. He said I reckon. That the sufferings. Of this present time. Are not worthy. To be compared. With the glory. Which shall be revealed. In us. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet everybody. Oh lift up your hands and say thank you Lord. Thank you Master. Thank you our good Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. By contrast, Paul is not, he's not regretting anything it cost him to follow God while he was down here. But you think about people like the rich young ruler. Now that his life has passed. Remember when Jesus looked at him? He said, one thing you lack. You need to liquidate. (laughs) And you need to invest and sow this over here. And you need to come follow me. Now he's not asking him to take a vow of poverty. He didn't tell him he'd never have anything again. In fact, if you're doing all that sowing, what could you expect? There's numerous other scriptures that talk about what would happen when you give to the poor like that. And when you do those kind of things. But... He he left sorrowful. Why? Why? Because this is too high a price to pay. He decided this just costs too much. This is too high of a price. Was he right? He was terribly wrong. He missed it. He missed it big time. 
How many of us should say there is no price too great? There is no cost too high to do what he is asking us to do. Close your eyes. Reach out your, your heart towards him. Lift up a hand in respect and reverence to him. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, just praise him just a moment. Lift up your voice out loud. Oh, praise you, Father. I worship you, I worship you, I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. I worship. I worship. I worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pray it out loud if you mean it, if you believe it in your heart. Father God, forgive me for ever hesitating or thinking that it was too much to ask. Too high a price, too great a cost. Because in truth, nothing's too much. The highest price could be paid is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that comes from you. Thank you for the privilege of serving you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Oh. God's direction.